Good morning. Yeah, I kind of feel like I should walk up and say, howdy, you know, I'm in from Texas and everything, but hey, what an honor to be here today, and I wanted to bring greetings from uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, your brothers and sisters that are there. So for those of you that I know, those of you that I do not know, um, it is such a privilege for us uh, at DTS to be able to have connection here at Burke Community Church. We're excited about what the Lord is doing over the last couple of days, what Marty just said, um, we were teaching a uh, conference that was from Genesis to Revelation in two days. How about that? It was a little project there for us, you know, to walk through the Bible in two days, and it was a joy. So for those of you that were able to participate in that, um, it was a fun time. So I collect things. Do you collect things, anybody in the room? I collect things, and I collect really strange things at times. Um, so I am a professor, I'm a president at the seminary, I'm a pastor, and so in one sense, I collect things that sometimes relate to the church. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So, like bulletin bloopers, like mistakes that occurred in handouts and things like that related to the church. So I kind of have those, so um, I collect ones like this. I think you'll know what I'm talking about when you see this, so don't let worry kill you, let the church help. I mean, that... <laughs> That's what it said in a bulletin at an unnamed church. How about this one? Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. I don't, I don't think it meant to come across that way, but it did. Um, how about this one? Uh, speaking of baptisms, this is a large church. They were having an advertisement. This afternoon, there will be a meeting in the south and the north ends of the building. People will be baptized at both ends. Okay. Apparently, this was uh, uh, an Easter Sunday. Easter's still fresh on our minds from last week, but it was Easter, and um, so apparently some pastor had a big illustrative moment in the service, and this is the way it came across in the order of service. This being Easter Sunday, we will ask Mrs. Lewis to come forward and lay an egg on the altar. <laughs> Now, I'm just letting you know, had I been Mrs. Lewis, I would have just gone home. So, <clears throat> uh, this one is important. Um, words <laughs> are critical. Um, antecedents are critical. The ladies of the church have cast off clothing of every kind. They can be seen in the church basement Saturday. And you, you'll get fired for things like that, you know? I had a friend, sent, he sent that to me and said, dude, talk about a seeker service, you know? It's like, okay, I know you love music and you love to sing. I was right behind the curtain there and I was singing with you and what a joy to hear you sing. So apparently this was a church that had a choir and they were having choir practice and they were also merging it in the same announcement with the sermon topic for that night and this is what it said. The sermon topic tonight will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. <laughs> All I can say is praise God for editors, right? There you go. Okay. Here's what you and I know. Words matter. Mm. Hold on tight. I'm sorry. We're going to talk about a topic that is so confrontational to me, 
And I think it's going to be confrontational to you, too. Because we've all had these moments in our lives where we just need to, like, shut our big mouths, right? Anybody? Or if we do speak, we need it to come out with the grace of God. That's what we're going to chat about this morning. So if you don't like it, just feel free during this little prayer. Get up and leave, okay? Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us as we get started. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Here we are on another Sunday. What a privilege for us to be able to come together and to open your word. Lord, we ask you, we invite you to please come right now as we've already been singing praises to you. But now, Lord, as we step into your word, may your word do only what it can do when we submit our lives to it. And that is to work on us and to transform us. Lord, to, to round off those edges that we have. Lord, go after us with encouragement, with conviction through your spirit that indwells us. And we ask, Lord, that we would not run from maybe situations in our lives, repentance that might be needed, moments that will come our way this week. Lord, may your word remind us of who you call us to be, and that is our prayer. Even today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was the bottom of the final inning, game two. The team that I was playing for, the Yellow Jackets, we had made it to the big YMCA fourth grade World Series tournament in the Hurst-Ulis Bedford area, which is closer to Fort Worth, which is where I grew up. And so the team that I was playing for, again, the Yellow Jackets, we were playing against a team called the Hornets. <laughs> so they had way too much fun with this on marketing. The B imagery has nothing to do with the story, but I was there and it was, listen to this, game two, the final inning. We, the team that I was playing for, the Yellow Jackets, we had won the first game. You with me? So it's now game two. It's the final inning, and I want to paint the picture for you. Our team, we're behind by three runs, okay? And we are up at bat, and we have the bases loaded, and there are two outs in the final inning. You with me? Okay, so here's the storyline. If, if we get a hit, the game continues, and we drive some of the runs in. If you clear the bases, you at least do what? You tie the game. And then if you get a home run and it's a grand slam, you win the game. And you don't just win the game, you win the series. You with me? Okay, so I'm sitting in the dugout and I'm kind of watching, you know, here's what happens. And so-and-so's up and he gets a hit and they walk and they get an out and they get a hit. And, and I'm just doing the math here and I'm going, oh no, if this thing works out perfectly, guess who's up at the plate? Mark Yarborough. Okay, so that's exactly what happened. I mean, I'm like, oh, this is... Horrible, because I'm a permissible baseball player back in the day. I wasn't great. I wasn't horrible, but I was like permissible, whatever that means. So I walk out there. There they are. First, second, third. My guys are on base. I mean, the crowds are just full. I mean, everybody's clapping. The photographers are present. You know, I mean, it's like, whoo. So I stand up, the hat on, tap, tap, tap. You know, nobody knows why you do it, but everybody has to hit the base. <laughs> So I put the bat on my back, and I look out on the mound, and there he was. 
I mean, one of their best pitchers, okay? They'd had a great pitcher in, in game one. They'd saved their, really, their best pitcher for game two. And I looked out there, and I'm like a little bit old skinny kid, man. And I'm up there, and I'm looking at this kid out there on the mount. I'm telling you, he was gnarly. I mean, he had like slob coming off his face. He had huge biceps. In fourth grade, guaranteed the kid had been shaving for five years, okay? <laughs> I mean, so I'm up there, you know, and I'm like, okay, here we go. We can do this. And I mean, the first pitch comes in. It was so fast. I can remember just going, whoosh, I was like, whoa, dude, that had to be like, you know, 85 miles an hour. I mean, it's fast. Tap, tap, tap. Nobody knows why. You know, I'm waiting. Pitch number two. Strike one. There it was. Pitch two. Whoosh, strike two. I'm like, tap, tap, tap. We're going to do this. I'm like, okay. I was prompted. I heard this voice. Mark, Swing. I was like, that's a novel idea, you know? It was my dad. He prompted me. I'm up there. Here, I, here we go. The pitch comes in, and I did what it, it's programmed into fourth grade boys. It runs through the rest of the light, just so, the, so you know. I mean, the pitch comes in, so when you don't know what to do, you just close your eyes and hope for the best. <laughs> pitch comes in. I'm watching it, and then at the last minute, man, I close. I just power through this thing. I hit the ball in the sweet spot. I mean, it went, friends, deep right field, over the right. I mean, I dropped my bat, stood there in awe of what I had done. I was like, I was prompted again, Mark, run! <laughs> my goodness. I mean, so I took off. I went around first base. I went around second base. Friends, you got to work with me. This is a phenomenal baseball story. I mean, this was like scripted from on high. I mean, I went around second base, and anybody that's played baseball, you know what you do. It's like you look at your third base coach. So I'm coming around second base, and there's my third base coach. And third base coaches do either hold up, down, which means come on and slide in at third, or what else do they do? Come on, work with me. They're like waving you home, right? Okay, so anybody ever remember the Wonder Years back in the day? Anybody remember that? Fred Savage and all that kind of stuff? Okay. Remember he had moments in his life when everything would go into slow motion? You remember that? Okay. This was my Wonder Years moment. I came around second, and I look at my third base coach, and he's going, Mark, run. And I'm like, jun, 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 you know, I'm dating myself here. Six million dollar man. You know, jun, 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 jun. I went around third base in my peripheral vision. They got the ball. They're throwing it in, right? So it goes to the cutoff man. The cutoff man gets the ball, and he throws it home. I slide home. I mean, we're all waiting, this big puff of dirt. And it's like, we're waiting for the call. And the home umpire yells, oh, come on, <laughs> wait. Here it is. The home umpire yells, safe. It was great. Come on, come on. That's right. It was a great moment. It was a great moment. Listen to this. They poured out of the dugout. They picked me up. They chanted my name. I, it was so good, right? Mark, Mark, Mark. And it was like we're having this happy, holy huddle celebration. And out again of the corner of my eye, comes the first base umpire. And he walks up and he points at me, like gets in my face. And he's like, you're out! You didn't touch first base. 
trust me, friends, I'm still in counseling for this. I mean, it was like, <laughs> I touched the back. I don't know what he was looking at. I don't know if he had a bad moment. If you've run bases, you push off of the bag, and I hit it with my right back heel in stride. I, don't, I was right. He was wrong. I had a big decision to make. And here was the big decision. The big decision was, do I say something? Because he like, you're out, game over, on to game three. And he turns around and just kind of marches off. And I prayed about that for 0.1 seconds. <laughs> and I decided right then and there that I was going to have to make a decision. Now, I knew something. If you challenge, back in the day, if you challenge the call of the umpire, you're ejected as a player. And you're not just ejected from the game, but you're ejected from the series. That's pretty serious. So I told you I prayed about it, and he turned to walk off, and I decided right then and there that he needed to hear a piece of my fourth grade mind. <laughs> I'll finish that story in a minute for you, but let me ask you a question. How should we respond, and why does it matter as believers? See, here's the funny thing. I'm, I'm describing... A situation on a baseball field in fourth grade and it is already an example of life right seriously everybody in this room everybody listening online when, when I'm talking about this right now probably running through your mind is some situation where you've been confronted maybe even in a moment where where you're right and they're wrong it happens in life all over the place. It happens at home. Parents, don't tell me it doesn't. In moments and engagements with our children or maybe with grandchildren. It happens at work. It happens at school. It happens in just the existence of life. It happens in those moments when we're in the grocery store and it's new, trekker, new checker training day, you know? And we're like, Ugh. or some kind of confrontation comes upon us as believers. And so the question that I want us to just wrestle with for a few minutes, these two questions of how should we respond and why does it matter? I'm going to answer the first question for us. How should we respond? Here's how we should respond in a manner that reflects our position who we are in Christ. That is how we should respond. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Philippians chapter 2. Just for a few minutes, Philippians chapter 2, I want us to look at this passage. Um, it is one of those beautiful passages of Scripture where Paul goes very practical in writing to the church at Philippi. Listen to these words in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. He says this, Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, but not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's fascinating to me. When you start reading this particular passage, it comes on the heels of what's called the kenosis passage. Uh, if you look back up in your version, whatever you're reading, right before that, you probably see a big, giant passage that's all indented. In all likelihood, it was a verse out of a hymn that the early church sang about 
who Jesus is and the example that he himself has provided. A, a position of humility. Knowing his purpose and his goal of being able to communicate clearly, even through his life, what the world is supposed to see. Okay, on the heels of that passage, Paul then makes this very direct charge to the church at Philippi. And I think, in many ways, again, he is asking, hey, how should we respond? I love a way that a guy by the name of Silva, a commentator, says this. He says, this passage refers to the process of living out the Christian life and producing the fruit commensurate with being in right relationship with God. Thus, in the particular context of Philippians 2, the outworkings of the believer's personal salvation take the form of corporate obligation within the Christian community, the duty of seeking the good of others. Here, in essence, is what Paul is saying. When he's reminding us, in all circumstances, how we should respond, he's saying, hey, don't forget who you are, believer. Work out your salvation. Show it. Display it. Let it be seen. Notice the phrase in the text. Look at what it says. It says, work out your salvation. That particular passage has taken truckloads of abuse through the centuries. It's not work for your salvation, as if that was possible. It is work it out. Show it. Display it. What has been given you in the Lord Jesus Christ, live it out, even in our words. Even in our words. How should we respond in all situations as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? We should respond in a manner that reflects our position, who we are. The grace that has been given us. He says, in bad moments of life, even when you've been called out at first base, you are always called to display that salvation that has been entrusted to us. Now, right now, I can probably get you to go, I get it, Mark. I understand. I'm with you on that. Point number one, how should we respond? Well, we should live as believers. And Paul kind of says that in a large-scale, generic way. And then, my friends, he goes real specific. And I'm just going to shoot straight with you here. Do you have verses in the Bible that you wish were not there? <laughs> Do you? Seriously, it's okay to say that. You can't cut it out. We're responsible to it. But I'm here to tell you, I've got a list of things that I'm like, I don't like that verse. I just don't. I need to adhere to it, but I don't like it. And I'm just shooting straight. After Paul sets this big scene, he starts meddling with us. Look at chapter 2, verse 14 in the text. Keep following. Here's what it says. I'm not making this up, friends. Okay. So after he says this, verse 14, he follows it up and says, okay, show your salvation. And then he says, do everything without complaining or arguing. You have got to be kidding me. Seriously. I mean, it's like do everything without complaining or arguing. Okay, because of the, what I do, uh, I am a Bible professor. My daughter for years has said, Dad, you're such a word nerd. And so I study things in depth. And so I thought to myself, this must be a faulty translation. 
And so I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick this thing apart, and I am really going to go deep, and we're going to look at all sorts of languages around it that helped inform, you know, in Koine Greek, and I taught Greek for years, and so I went in hard. And I mean, I studied this thing for days. And seriously, I learned a lot of things, okay? But I want to just lay it all out there. When, of all of this study that I've done, here's what it means. Like, literally, in the Greek text from beginning to end, verse 14. Because I can remember reading it in shock. And I'm like, oh, surely, you know. And here's exactly what it means. Listen close, okay? It means do everything without complaining or arguing. <laughs> in fact, the more I studied it, the worse it became. Seriously, it literally means do each and everything that you do in life. Do it without complaining and do it without arguing. Everything that you do, do it without complaining and arguing. And seriously, friends, the more I got into this, the worse that it became. When it says, do everything without complaining or arguing, what if I told you that every one of those words has a very specific connotation to it? So when you move into this first word of complaining, um, it reminds us of this. Whoa, letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than putting it back in. Because our words, when they come out, we can't pull them back. And Paul's saying, be very careful. Don't let your words go out in a tone of complaint. When you start studying this, this word for complaint is used just a few times in the Bible. And like in John chapter 7, the same word is used here about whispering or secretive talk. How about this? Uh, it is used in Acts chapter 6 verse 1 when the Grecian Jews were complaining uh, it's used in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, Peter's command to offer hospitality without complaining. Uh, it is used elsewhere in the text of a word that means murmuring. Anybody know what murmuring is? It, here's what it means. It means like when um, we're asked to do something, and then they turn and walk away, and we go... Uh, kids, you're not off the hook. It's when mom and dad ask you to do something, Okay. And, you know, it's like, mom and dad, adults in the room, you're not off the hook. You know what it means? See, we're just sophisticated about it. Our boss comes in the room, gives us a new project or assignment that we're not really thrilled about. And they turn the corner and we all smile and we say, oh, that's going to be great. Thank you very much. And when they're out of sight, we're going. And what if I told you that this word for complaining doesn't mean just audible? Seriously. Oh, this is, it's horrible. I'm telling you, the more I studied this passage, the worse it became. I mean, it's like, it means body language. Do you realize that you can speak with body language? Like when, when my sweet, wonderful wife asked me to do something, and I go, <laughs> what did I just say? Volumes without saying any words. I study this passage, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. Paul takes this very seriously. See, friends, when we're walking through a passage like this, Paul's being aggressive. Listen to this. He says, critical complaining spirits are the historic bane of the church from Philippi to Peoria to Philadelphia. 
They are found in every culture, and such people are rejecting the divine call to work out their salvation. They impede their own souls and the souls of their brothers and sisters in this matter. They are undertoes to the body of Christ. And so if you're one of these people, understand that when you finally stand before the Savior, you will answer in shame. The reason it seems that Paul is so aggressive about this is because he wants us to see that when grace has been given us through the cross of Jesus Christ and our lives have been saved from eternal damnation, we're not just saved from something, we're saved for something. That God wants us to take that salvation and show it to a world. And one of the ways that we do it is even in how we portray ourselves through our words to not just brothers and sisters, but to those that are around us. Friends, it keeps getting worse. It's not just complaining, it's arguing. What if I told you this? That word occurs 14 times, it's never used in a positive light, and it signifies contentious behavior connected with an arrogant attitude. I mean, Paul's just laying it all out there. Do everything without complaining or arguing. See, we don't want this to be our epitaph someday as believers, do we? <laughs> Beneath this stone of lump of clay lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. <laughs> See, here's what I'm convinced of. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, friends, we are called to be grace talkers. How should we respond? In a manner that positions, that reflects our position in Christ. How should we respond? In a manner that reflects our position in Christ. And we must remember that our words as believers will either heal or hurt. Because we are called to be grace talkers. If we're grace recipients, we're also called to be grace talkers. I told you I collect things, and one of the things that I do collect is I collect strange pictures of signs, like signs, like around, you know, neighborhoods and around the highway and in airplanes and things like that. And so we take a lot of pictures, and uh, so I take pictures of things like this. This is a sign, right? Caution, ship's whistle may sound at any time. This will cause a loud noise. I'm thinking, really? Seriously? Strange signs like this. Uh, we took this one in a parking lot. How about this? This ve vehicle protected by anti-theft stickers. <laughs> Back when our kids were little, we appreciated signs like this. Warning, anti-climb paint, you know. Now, this was one leaving a movie theater one day. We took a picture of this one. Anyone caught exiting through this door will be asked to leave. <laughs> you know, well, thank you for clearing that one up for us, you know. Um, I think I took this one in Malaysia. Uh, it was fascinating. Walked into a grocery store, and this is, this is what it said for something that was on sale. Curved yellow fruit. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, the world voted, named them bananas, but... And buy yourself some curved yellow fruit. I guess that does kind of describe it. Okay, uh, after teaching all of our kids years ago how to drive, um, I think he, you got to work on these. That doesn't look the best, you know. Um, it just doesn't. 
road signs are important. Apparently, if you're there, you have a problem. You can't go that way either way. Um, this is nice. They just want you to know it's down there, but you can't get there, you know? Um, somebody's obviously having too much fun because if you're there, you're there forever. If you are ADD, this is very problematic. Uh, these are our tax dollars at work on this next one. Pay attention. Caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. Also, the bridge is out ahead. Do you see that? It's like, it's like little bitty down at the bottom. See, here's the reality, friends, and you know it to be true. You know it to be true. We're all known for something. And really, Scripture leads us to say, we need to be known, listen to this, we need to be known as this. This needs to be our sign. With our words. Because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us, that grace that has been bestowed upon us, when people look at us and they hear us, what comes out of our mouth, we need to be grace talkers. There's no complaining. There's no arguing. Even in bad situations, when we're called out at first base, <laughs> when we're right and everybody else is wrong, I mean, people look at us and say, that's a life that has been touched by the cross of Christ. And where grace is given, we must be grace givers, even in our words. So, Scripture speaks a lot about this, doesn't it? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. May that be true of us, friends. How should we respond? In a manner that reflects our position in Christ. In a manner that reflects our position in Christ. But I told you there's two questions. If that is true, why does it matter? Get back to the text. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. We're in that same passage. Paul just methodically lays this out. After he says, do everything without arguing, without complaining or arguing, here's what he says. Do that so that, verse 15 says, you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped or a crooked and depraved generation. Then you will shine like stars in the sky among the universe as you hold out the word of life. He's pretty clear about what he's saying. How should we respond? In a manner that reflects who we are in the Lord Jesus. And why does it matter? Listen, friends, I can phrase it this way. It matters because God desires to position our reflection of Christ. Think of how I'm flipping those words there for us. To reflect our position in Christ, what he's done. But what I have found, and you know this to be true too, is that God has a tendency to frequently put us in positions where it's a difficult circumstance, and he wants us to represent him in that moment. 
I've got a whole host of stories that I could tell you about where I am fully convinced that God allowed that crazy moment, that situation, that moment of tenseness to occur because he wanted me to represent him in that moment, to give a different response, a response that is not the response of our culture. Anybody in the room kind of been paying attention to realize that our culture is highly amped up and it's being expressed in our words? I'm here to tell you, social media has been a horrible thing for our culture because it is preying upon the sinful nature of human beings. And when we're training generations to come up and be able to say whatever you want, whenever you want, without any filter, and it's even come into the church. Friends, Marty didn't ask me to speak this message this morning. I'm not aware of any situation. I don't know what's going on at your home. I don't know what you're being confronted with. What I do know is that we as the church need to improve our game in our words, in our homes, and how we conduct our lives. Because other people, even non-believers, are watching closely. And God puts us there in those moments in those difficult circumstances, even when we're called out at first base and we're wrong, right and everybody else is wrong, and he has a tendency to put us there to represent him at that moment. I can pull it all together and say it like this. God frequently places us in positions to show his grace to shine like stars. And when you pull these two points that Paul seems to be leading us in together, I can phrase it this way. God desires his children to reflect their position in Christ so that he can position us as a reflection of Christ in all circumstances. So, dear friends, how are you doing in that area? The truth is, for every one of us, I promise you myself, first and foremost, I need to hear this message daily, weekly, to remind me of the grace that has been entrusted me through the Lord Jesus Christ. And who am I that he would even choose to use someone like me, someone like you in your home, with your neighbors, with your boss, in your place of employment, at your grocery store, at your bank counter line, to be able to reflect the grace of Jesus in that moment. I don't know what's going to happen to you today. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to line up in your world this week. But friends, don't be surprised if God places you in a precarious moment so that you can represent him then. And in order to do that successfully, don't forget who you are. Well, it was the bottom of the final inning. <laughs> Game three. We lost that second game because you're out. So let me explain game three to us. 
So game three is just the opposite of game two. And honestly, this is what happens. So it's like we're in the outfield. They're at bat. It's the final inning. There are two outs. They now have two people on base. We are up by two runs. Okay, now do you get the scene? It's pretty clear. They get a base hit. The game continues. They get a clear the bases. It's tied. I mean, it was scripted from on high, I'm telling you. They get a home run. They win the game. And if they win the game because of game two, what happens? They win the series, right? So here's the moment. Tap, tap, tap. It's all going to happen again. It's amazing. The pitch comes in. They've got one of their best hitters at the plate. And I mean, first pitch, he just nails it. Deep right field. We're all thinking, man, the game is over. I mean, our right fieldman is just pedaling as fast as his little wheels can go. Patter, patter, patter. Go, 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 go. And at the last minute, as he is extending his glove, he trips. We're like, oh, man. Listen to this. And as he crashed into the fence, he caught the ball. Yeah. Isn't that a neat moment? And that guy was me. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Back up that trolley there for a minute, Yarbrough. I thought you had to give that evil umpire a piece of your fourth grade mind. Well, here's what happened. Man, he got in my grill and said, you're out. And he turns around and I prayed about it, you know. Marched on after him, and I'm about ready to unload. And over the top of that guy's head, a, another guy that was over in the stands by the name of Bob Yarbrough, who happens to be my father, stood up. <laughs> and he made eye contact with me, and he said two things without saying anything at all. Number one, I knew exactly what he was saying. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out, you know. <laughs> it's a good dad statement. But the second one was one that has marked my life forever. I knew what he was saying. Mark, if you speak now, remember the rules? If you speak now, you won't be there to catch the ball in game three. Friends, I am not telling you this story because in this particular episode, I happen to be the hero of it. I promise you, let's talk after the service and I will tell you many moments where I was not. But what I do know is that the challenge from the text is clear. Men and women of faith in the Lord Jesus who have been blessed beyond measure. Guard your words. Because when we speak foolishly and we complain and we argue, do you know what we've done? We take ourselves out of the game and place ourselves on the bench. And when God longed to you as us, because of our tainted words, we can't represent him then. My dear friends, stay in the game. Not for your glory. For his. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, thank you for your incredible patience with us. We've all failed in this particular area, maybe even this morning. 
Lord, thank you for your tender grace that continually moves us forward, that we don't have to stand in our failure, even in this area. May we leave here today recharged or reminded of what you long for those of us that you have entrusted with salvation. May we work it out. May we show it. May we be people that do not complain or arguing so that in that moment that you place us, that we will represent you well, not for our glory, but for yours. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.